Welcome to Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hey everyone, I'm John Schaust. Hey, and I'm Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 11 of Nature Centered. Wow, it's fall and there's lots of things that are changing and we know we have a lot of questions out there. So we brought back Olivia, our question person extraordinaire to challenge us with all kinds of frequently asked questions. Yeah, our question guru there, John. Yeah, I love having <laughs> these FAQs and uh, Olivia does like to, to play Stump the Naturalist and she did... She did give me a little heads up. We have something, one of those questions. Yeah, I know. She I don't, Maybe she thought we, we needed a little help, but bald-headed <laughs> birds. So if you want to learn a little bit about bald-headed birds, and I'm not talking about bald eagles. I think our goal is to really stump us this time, Brian. So, hey, everybody, stick around for the fun. Okay, well, we do have our special guest, Olivia, today, and she has gone through her files uh, to find the best frequently asked questions that have come in to us through all our different media channels. So, uh, Olivia, what do you think? You uh, want to tell folks how you get all these questions and a little bit about what you do for us? Yes. Hi, John. Hi, Brian. I am so happy welcome. to be back. Welcome, Thank welcome. I'm so surprised, actually, that I got invited back on. Yeah, we're we're gluttons, <laughs> we're gluttons for punishment, Olivia. <laughs> but um, hey, here I am. So yes, let me dive into that a little bit. Um, I, my title is the digital marketing specialist. So I receive a ton of questions through social media, through our website, through email. Um, sometimes. You know, we receive questions via phone calls or even through letters in the mail as well. So I have compiled some of those, and I'm hoping that this is the time that I can finally stump the both of you. So I'm excited. <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> We're ready. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, and yes, we will always invite you back. So, you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Hit us with that first one. Let's do it. All right, we are going to play Stump the Naturalist. I have high hopes for today. <laughs> the first question is from Kelly. So Kelly is asking, when do I take down my hummingbird theater to force the birds to migrate? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I actually I hear a couple things in there that we could address for sure. Yeah. I mean, taking down the feeder, but forcing them to migrate, it's kind of two different things we could talk about there. Um, I know I don't like to take my hummingbird feeders down until I know there are no more hummingbirds around. You know, we've talked about we live in the eastern part of the United States, and you know we have the ruby-throated hummingbird throughout the summer. So I like to leave my hummingbird feeders up until they're all gone. Generally, there's kind of a rule of thumb. You say if you haven't seen a, any hummingbird activity at all, the, the birds or that level's not going down for two weeks, then you might be safe to take it down. I usually take it out maybe four, six, eight weeks from there, just in case you get that last hummingbird that's uh, uh, kind of taking its time or one's swung back around from a different area. But I like to leave them up as long as I can because uh, you also get some hummingbirds that are actually overwintering now in different areas. 
So you get out west, we have Anna's hummingbirds throughout, uh, especially the coastal areas out west from California all the way up into British Columbia. And then you get in the southwest some of the Costas hummingbirds. But in the east, we get, we're getting the yeah, rufus yeah. and don't. some of the, the ruby throats, right, John? Yeah, don't don't forget about those rufus. Uh, we've talked about those on previous uh, podcasts when we talked about hummingbirds. But the rufus hummingbird is one that's kind of... Um, the juveniles especially are kind of vagabonds they kind of have wanderlust and they move around mm-hmm. late in the year and they end up in the east coast and the central part of the u.s and you know it's not a lot but it's a handful and if your feeder's up they're going to take advantage of it big time and so it's kind of cool uh we had one in my a neighbor literally a neighbor of mine a couple of years ago who cut one into uh the first part of january and we do the christmas bird count and we all we all went to her house to see the rufus hummingbird coming to her feeder uh, to get it on our Christmas bird count. But yeah, and the other thing to unpack in that question that was asked, Olivia, is uh, forcing the birds to migrate. Uh, there is no such thing as forcing a bird to migrate. Uh, the bottom line is a, a instinctual, you know, different combinations of day length. It has a lot to do with. Um, uh, different triggers within their their brain and and uh, hormones uh, to migrate north or then migrate south in the fall you know that type of thing so uh, they'll leave when it's time for them to leave when the conditions are right for them to leave the weather and that type of thing uh, you're not going to force them to migrate by changing the food that's at, at your feeders or taking those feeders down so all right did we, think get we by covered that one? that one? Did we get by that one? <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> you good, Olivia? Yeah, right. I'm good. Right. Thank you. So, <laughs> so in summary, you don't need to take down your hummingbird feeders to force the birds to migrate. They'll do it on their own. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good to know. Enjoy them while they're here. Give them some extra food if they're staying. <laughs> a question from Shanna. So Shanna is asking, uh, she's seen a bald, a ragged looking bird around her yard. Uh, Uh She's wondering if it's thick. I love these questions. We get the bald headed bird question just about every year, multiple times this time of year. Um, It all has to do with the birds going through molt. You know, they get through nesting. uh, They get prepared preparations made to go on their long migration by replacing all their feathers. Most birds will have a complete change of feathers in the fall. Uh, that's flight feathers, tail feathers, body feathers, everything. Uh, and they and they molt out. The old ones come out and new ones grow in to replace them. So it's a complete molt. And uh, sometimes they just do weird things. <laughs> and, and some of them molt all those head feathers. There's speculation on this has been around for decades, to be quite honest, because people see them and they thought maybe it was bird lice or mites or something like that. that was, and, and birds have a hard time preening their head. Uh, and so, therefore, all the feathers were being impacted and they were falling out because of the, the mites and that type of thing. Yeah, they Pro- that bald-looking bird. Yeah, it's, it's probably just more, uh, and again, maybe a combination of different factors depending on different birds. Uh, but there's enough evidence out there now. It just seems like genetically some birds are predisposed that when they molt those head feathers, <laughs> instead of just doing a few of them at a time so you never really notice it, they do all of them at once, and obviously they become a bald-headed bird, and it's a bizarre, when you see a bald-headed cardinal out there, it is one of the most bizarre things you'd ever want to see. Oh, it takes yeah. a couple of weeks for those those feathers to molt back in, and they'll be right back to normal. 
Yeah, you might see Jays doing the same thing. Uh, the Cardinals and Jays are pretty much the, the main ones, main culprits. And it's interesting, too, some of the research they found that, uh, and you, know, you might have one of those birds that goes bald this year, but not next year, or a couple years in a row, but not again later. Uh, so, like John said, lots of speculation. We're not really sure why the bald, but we know they all replace their feathers. They have to. Those feathers just wear out. And that's when they get to look really ragged, too. Boy, you're exactly right in the fact that the last couple of months, around my backyard anyway, as many of these different species of birds that are coming to my feeders have gone into this molt, uh, boy, about halfway through, <laughs> you know, there, there's feathers sticking out here, it's all shaggy, and their head's looking all kind of messed up and unkept, and, and it's just that molting process where those new feathers are coming in and replacing. I had, had somebody send me a picture, and it looked like a house finch with two little horns on top of its heads. Oh, yeah. And it, I love yeah, those pictures. Yeah, and it's just because the <laughs> as the feathers come out, they're grown in a little, um, uh, in, in lack of a better word, a little casing, a little sheath, if you will. And as it comes out, that sheath eventually deteriorates. It's kind of a, a, like your fingernails in the sense of it's that kind of material, real thin, breaks apart. The feather then is able to open up into its full size. Uh, but before it does that, it sticks up like a couple of horns if it grows too far. So anyway, it's really very fun unkept. Great question. Yeah. Great, great question. Yeah. And you can help the birds while they're molting. You can yeah, do that, that was just, my question, Brian. What can we do to help these poor bald birds? Well, that's a great follow-up question on it because you, you go out and scratch their heads. Foods. <laughs> <laughs> go out and scratch their heads. That's right. Scratch their heads. Help them out. Now, if you can get that close to the birds, do some hand feeding like that. There you go. More power to you. Uh, we give them high-protein foods. Um, we have a lot of different kinds of foods while Birds Unlimited stores offer, um, like live mealworms. I mean, talk about some high-protein stuff. Uh, but also bark butter bits or bark butter and our other various forms of bark butter is a high-protein food. Um, and, and even sunflower seeds and then some of the other blends and peanuts. These are all great foods. And if you add more of a variety in your yard in different places, you're going to get better bird activity. And more of those birds can come in because they're all molting. And just let them all come in and be uh, different areas in the yard. And they all like different foods anyway. So get those foods out for them. And, and it's fun to watch them come in, those very raggedy and bald-headed birds. And like John said, the little birds with horns. And I love the fact that our producer, Evan, has a little comment he just sent me. And he wants to know if they make Rogaine for birds. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we better go to the next question. We're just getting ourselves in trouble on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Okay, let's see. Ryan, Ryan has a question. He wants to know, should he bring in his bird bath for winter or should he keep it out? Aha, uh -huh. I tell you, I love water in the yard and water year round. Keep it out because birds still need to drink and they still need to keep their feathers in good condition and having a water source helps them do that. <clears throat> you just got to watch out for the winter time. You get into freezing weather and having that water out there so they can still drink and um, they can still have that access to it. And you can do a lot of different things to keep water in winter time, just having the right kind of bird bath out there that's not going to be affected by freezing weather if you're in areas that uh, is prone to freezing or staying frozen throughout the entire <laughs> winter period as some places that starts in November and you don't see the grass until May. I mean, <laughs> so you could do yeah. something like that. 
yeah, open water in the wintertime is really a very, very effective thing to bring birds into your backyard, and especially if it has some type of motion and sound going on with mm-hmm. it, a little, little splashing, a little pump that causes it to circulate and maybe create a little splashing sound or a little reflection. Um, it's, it's really very effective for bringing birds in. Open waters uh, can be, depending on where you're at and what kind of winter we're having, it can be a very difficult thing for the birds to, to locate. So when you've got it, they want it, they're going to come check it out. So yeah that's right very cool plus yeah. a bird bath doesn't do much good inside the house right that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there if you're in one of those colder areas or if you get a even just some frosts overnight you can consider having you know a bird bath heater that you add to your bird bath and there are also some heated bird baths for those areas that just have prolonged freezing times uh, but make sure you use a durable bird bath you, you know a plastic a metal, a resin, those are pretty good. They're going to stand up to any, you know, you get in the Midwest, we get freeze thaws back and forth. And those kind of materials are going to stand up. Something like ceramic or stone, um, those are going to start to deteriorate over time. So have something that's durable too and know you're going to be able to help your birds by keeping water out for winter. Great. So regardless of the weather, you can keep that bird bath out. Absolutely. Indeed. Now here's a question I'm hoping that may stump you, so get ready. Okay. <laughs> this is this question's from Erin. She wants to know where all of the beautiful goldfinches went. They're all gone. She's not seeing them in her yard anymore, and she's sad about that. So that's that's interesting. I wonder if she's actually, they're gone, and she's not seeing them at all, or whether they have, many of them have actually that molt that we were talking about earlier. When goldfinches molt this time of year, they do a full, complete molt. So they're growing in new tail feathers, flight feathers, body feathers, and they get really, really dull. (laughs) You know, they're not that bright, Mm -hmm. brilliant canary yellow that we have all summer long. They turn into an olive drab green. uh, And I'm just wondering, it could be either scenario. Either her birds have left, which they move around a lot, and that's that's not an uncommon uh, thing to have happen. Or whether it's actually just not recognizing that the birds that are still there are just not the same looking birds that they were all summer long. And there really are goldfinches there, so. Yes, yeah, take a look, see if it, because they can start to look like sparrows and finches, uh, like house finches and other kinds. Some of the female purple finches, Cassin's finches, they all start to look about the same coloration. So take a closer look, see if they, they haven't left and they have just molted, like John said, changed their coloration. Yeah, it's my the you know again we're we're in the Midwest and and Central Midwest and and uh, at this point in time I they're right in between they're talking about looking ragged Olivia oh <laughs> my gosh these things are unbelievably ragged looking and uh, and then you, and what's cool I still I, they're you know they're in this molting they're right in the middle of it but I still have juveniles harassing the parents for food. Still sitting there across from them, doing the wing wavering and quavering of the wings, and they're still chirping at them and chasing them all over my backyard. So here, here you that's got amazing. This, you got this parent bird that's trying to get ready for winter and you know shed all the breeding plumage into this dull drab winter plumage, and it's still got the youngsters bugging it for food. So it's kind of a neat neat thing to see and watch. That is neat. So. Aaron just needs to take a closer look. They still might be there. They've just changed their appearance. Yeah, could be. Or again, 
they're very they're very nomadic. They move around a lot, so you can have 15 goldfinch one day and not have any the next day for two or three weeks, and then they come back. So that could be a scenario that's going on too. Okay, well, you guys actually knew that, so. This is from Kevin. Kevin says, I've been thinking about cutting down all the garden plants now that they're done blooming, but I've heard that the birds like the seeds, so what should I do? Oh, keep that (laughs) up, man. Simple answer, leave it. Yeah, great question. Glad you asked it. <laughs> yeah, talk talk about looking ragged. It does look ragged, but man, mm-hmm. it's worth it. If you want birds in your backyard and you want to give those birds a chance to feed on all those seed heads all winter long, man, don't don't take those things down. Leave them up all all winter long. Oh yeah, you know many of our podcasts. John's talking about the Certified Wildlife Habitat Program. If you have those native plants do do leave those those seed heads up because the birds are going to be all over it during the winter time and you know go back to those goldfinches they like a lot of those composite seed heads you got coneflowers you got some other things in there they love to come and land on there and feed on those but then having some other uh, wintering sparrows that start coming in or some of our year-round residents that song sparrow pretty much anywhere in north america they love coming in and feeding on those different seed heads from your your garden especially if you have native plants yeah, and it, you'll get the chance to watch something that's mm-hmm. way cool because a number of those birds that feed on those plants have a really neat technique for doing it. They literally land like uh, on, on the plants that have a thinner stem. They'll land up at the top of the really thin uh, stem plants and ride the seed head down to the ground. That's pretty <laughs> cool to see. Out, you know, they're not standing. Yeah, they, they <laughs> land it, ride it all the way to the ground, and then they peck the seeds out of it while they're on the ground. So it's really kind of a fun little thing to watch. Yeah, you cut everything down, you're going to miss that. So it's fun seeing all these behaviors in your backyard. That, that kind of sounds like a win-win to me because, okay, one, it benefits the birds, and two, it's less yard work that you have to do. <laughs> Indeed, and that's where I am. The less yard work I can do, yeah. <laughs> okay, the next question is from Karen. There is a woodpecker on my house. How- <laughs> How do I get it to stop? <laughs> this sounds very much like scenarios at our house. Every few years, uh, my wife works a night shift, and so when she sleeps in the day, then uh, you get a woodpecker in the fall that starts working on the, the side of the house, like right next to where she's sleeping. Uh, yeah, she'll I'll start hearing her banging on the wall to get it to go away, and that doesn't work. And then she'll open the throw up the window and look out, and uh, just last week, she said this happened, and I threw up the window, and I stuck my head out, and I looked at a woodpecker that's like six feet away, and it turns its head and looks at me like as if it's saying, what? I'm working here. And, uh. and she and wouldn't fly away. If I had been a fly on the wall in that time. Oh, man. She, she was not happy. Uh, but there are solutions, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One of my John, you want to cover that one? No, okay. But since since it does happen every once in a while in my house, I tell you what, there there are a lot of deterrent options out there, and a lot of things you can try. And some people say um, one of the 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 helpful ones is put one of those woodpecker um, uh, 
it's like a little woodpecker to turn. It looks like a woodpecker, a red-headed woodpecker. A, a, or, a decoy. Yeah, it's a decoy. Thing. Thank you. Yeah. Put that on your house, and they'll think, oh, there's already a woodpecker there. I'll move on. And that can work. Um, and actually, sometimes when it does, if it does work, great. That's an inexpensive way to do it. Uh, if you need be, you can cover the area to prevent the woodpecker from getting to it. But when it's like half your house, that's a little challenging. Uh, so that decoy can help. One of the best things I have found is it's called scare tape, which is this holographic mylar ribbon. It's about an inch long, an inch wide, and it's really lightweight. It comes in a roll, and you cut the length that you need, and you take a thumbtack and, and put it in your siding just above where the woodpecker has been working. And the slightest breeze will get it to move. It reflects light and sunlight, and it just annoys the woodpeckers, and they leave it alone. And I, through the years, every once in a while, when a woodpecker decides it's time to come check out my house, then I put those up, and it works, and they leave. Yeah, and probably a really good idea is, why, you know, why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why are they yeah. coming on my house and pecking <laughs> yep. all over it? Uh, and so yeah, understanding that just kind of helps you uh, understand how to deal with the problem. So there's really a couple of different reasons, uh, and it depends on kind of the time of the year. Uh, in the springtime, uh, many woodpeckers and you've all heard them out drumming you know against a dead tree and making those loud bang bang doing bang sounds. they're not necessarily yeah. drilling a nesting cavity doing that matter of fact when they do that they don't hit it all that hard really it's they kind of work it work it work it but when they're hitting that tree really hard it's all about establishing your territory and keeping other com- competition out of my territory and whoever makes the loudest noise wins the territory so a hollow walled wooden clad house (laughs) is a perfect sounding board so in the springtime if i can find the side of your house and pound on it and make lots and lots of noise i'm gonna do that because that helps me establish and win my territory right then and there so that's one reason they do it another reason they do it it, they may also want to put a nesting cavity springtime they may dig in there and put a nesting cavity and nest in the wall of your of your uh, house which is not a great thing but that you know understandable on their part another thing is you may have an insect infestation if you've got carpenter ants and you've got termites or some other wood boring insect they may be finding that hearing it smelling it whatever method they use to find that in your wall they may be doing that and actually they, they actually will go like uh, carpenter bees they look like a bumblebee and they literally drill in and lay their eggs well woodpeckers will open up those those uh, galleries those tunnels that the carpenter bees make in the uh, wood and get the larva out of there so lots of different reasons this time of year in the fall they may actually be looking to make a roosting cavity to overwinter in and your nice warm insulated wall will do a great job of that so a lot of different reasons why they could be banging in your house i agree with brian uh the the scare tape the holographic tape is i think cornell did a pretty big research on this uh, in the lab of ornithology and i think they found that the scare tape was probably one of the most effective things it's also one of the least expensive as long as you can get up there to the areas yeah that's the that's yeah. the issue especially if you got a two-story house it gets a little bit of a challenge to yeah. get up there and put this stuff there if you could hang it out of a window you know mm-hmm. uh, if you can get open a window and put it out that way it might be a safer way so be safe however you're applying it okay well <laughs> I, I i think we may have survived another one brian i think so i, I hope so <laughs> olivia seems pretty happy right olivia I think so. Karen doesn't have to move. She has options. She can stay in her house. That's right. That's right. We're helping her out. Yeah. 
that those are all the questions I have for you guys. Well, that was a good bunch of questions. Excellent. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, we could talk all day about all these different questions. Uh, it's been a blast. Uh, thank you, Olivia, for bringing those questions to us. We yeah, really, thank you. really, truly appreciate your efforts and, and all you do for our customers who bring these questions to you. So um, we'll have you back for some future episodes not too far away. Thank you so much for having me. I'm hoping, fingers crossed, on my next appearance, I'll finally be able to stump you guys. So I look <laughs> forward to that. Bring it well, on. <laughs> we always accept the challenge. So if anyone out there has questions and they want to find it, hey, maybe maybe my question can get in there. Uh, first place we would say is go to your local Wild Birds Unlimited store you, and ask, their question, ask your questions there at any point when you have questions about the bird feeding hobby because they're the local bird feeding experts. And you can find your local store at wbu.com. There's a store locator button. Or, you know, if you don't have a store that's close to you, go to that same website and submit your question there. We'll see what we can do to make sure we get that answered for you and might show up on the show. I know Olivia, if she, she doesn't have an answer, she'll kick it over to us to make sure that we can, we can get that answered for you. All right. So on behalf of us all here again, as always, at Wild Birds Unlimited, we really do thank you for joining us for our Nature Centered Podcast. Uh, join us next time. We're going to be taking, since it's going to be October and it's that Halloween time of the year, we should talk about owls. So we're going to have a whole <laughs> show about owls and uh, the common ones around your backyard. So please plan to join us then. And as always, uh, we'll let nature be our guide. Take care and be safe. Thanks for joining us, Olivia, and thanks for everyone for listening in. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nature Centered. To subscribe to this podcast, for show notes, or to connect with the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. Until we meet again, take some time to relax, enjoy the birds, get out in your backyard, and stay nature-centered. <laughs>